is giving you a different word that becomes part of the building blocks of your character and, and how that could be just so transformational in your life. And this all came from Martin Sanders' uh, sermon a few weeks ago. He was visiting here and he preached and, and he kind of challenged us with the one word thing. And Meg and I went to dinner with him uh, Saturday night when he was here and he started talking about this group of friends he had and how impactful it's been with them. And it just got my brain really going uh, it, just like how cool it would be if we grabbed onto this as a church. I uh, thought I had all these amazing original ideas coming out of this uh, conversation at, at dinner, and uh, we'd already decided we were going to teach this uh, Resolve series on Ephesians, and it was all coming together. It was very clear this was a, a God thing, and so I thought I was brilliant, and then Meg informed me I wasn't. Um, <laughs> uh, she actually sent me a link, and she said, hey, I, I don't know if you know it, but this is an ancient practice. Uh, so I'm just going to read this for you. This is what Meg sent to me uh, from a website. It just says, in the third and fourth centuries, men and women seeking God would live in solitude, silence, and continual prayer in the deserts. It's what we commonly call the desert fathers. Uh, they lived in towns outside of the Middle East. Desert mothers and fathers gained a reputation for wisdom, and many would seek their advice for their lives. People would find the fathers and ask, give me a word, and this word would, or phrase would be something for them to ponder, guidance, knowledge. One word that would transform their whole lives. And I was like, well, that's cool. It's been going on for centuries, right? It's a, it's a pretty neat thing. And then I was talking to Paula, who works here, and uh, Paula gave me this book called My One Word. So not only am I... <laughs> Which, by the way, I haven't read a lot of the book, but what I have read is really good, and I, I would highly recommend it. But this is a church where the pastor, who's obviously ahead of me a little bit, decided to do this. And they have taken it year after year, and it's just become a part of their DNA and something that they do. And at first, I was a little bummed, because I, like like, I, like, I like it when I'm original. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't. But it just reminds me that God's up to something, right? All those things coming together. And uh, so... So I'd encourage you to get this, if you're, if you're sinking into this one word, this would be another way for you to kind of unpack some of the layers that come with the one word story. But regardless, the bottom line here is uh, we want everyone at Grace to take up the one word challenge, to allow the one word to begin to radically transform who you are. And I think what I want you to hear is chances are uh, the word is going to be hard for you. As a matter of fact, if the word came to you quickly and it's quite easy for you, then that's not the word. I'm just telling you, it's not the word. Uh, it's funny, I got an email or a text message when I got home after the service last night, and it was somebody who said, I thought I knew what my word was, and she went on and on about how, but this is the word, and, I, and, I, and I, I don't think she said I hate it, but she said it's just so hard for me, this is not, but that's kind of, if God's going to stretch you, right, if God's going to, bring about some change in your character, chances are it's going to pinch a little bit, right? So my encouragement to you is don't just grab the easy word, but allow God to give you a word. I love what Meg has been saying is to let the word find you. Uh, so we're doing this for the next five weeks. You have time. If you haven't got the word, don't feel pressure. Uh, as God gives you a word after the service, we want you to just write it down and put it on the board. If we fill up another board, we'll buy two more and we'll have six boards in the room, but we'd love for everybody to be a, a part of it. So I shared with you last week that my word is joy, um, that I'm trying to uh, sink into and be more joyful, and that, that has all come with all kinds of layers. Um, but what I want you to do over the next few weeks is hear a few other people's words. So I've invited the Lubyinskis and the Sales to come up, if they're in the house. I hope they are, although this is going to be kind of a weird moment. Um, oh, good, they're here. So why don't you guys welcome the Lubes and Sales to the stage. 
Thank you. They're very happy. Somebody out there is happy to hear from you guys. So um, I've just asked them to come, but I think before we get into your words, I'd love just to do some introductions. So why don't we just start over here? And who are you? And how long you been around Grace? What do you do around here? Um, my name is Don. This is on. Yep. My name is Don Lubinsky, and I've been at Grace. Mark and I have been at Grace since early 2000, 2001. Um, Mark's an elder. But I've served in different areas, TBS, children's has usually been really at my heart, and I've just started working at Grace for Grace Kids, and I'm really super excited about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Mark Lubienski, and I think Don covered everything else. That's all right. We'll let the women do the talking here. They're usually more I'm Jenny Sales, my husband, Murray, and we've been attending Grace since about 1996. Yep. And we have three sons, and just a little shout out, my youngest is 16 today. Wow, or our happy birthday. <laughs> Wait out time to sing. <laughs> uh, my name is Murray Sales, as Jenny said. I'm uh, one of the elders here, and uh, just uh, blessed to serve this church and this body. So Murray, you have the mic, and you're talking. Why don't you share with us the word, maybe even how the word came to you, and uh, what it means to you. Um, so first of all, the word came to me because our pastor called and said, you better find your word. <laughs> so uh, no pressure there. But no, I, I gave a lot of thought to this. I told Doug, the first word that came to me was joy. And then I told him I can't take joy because that's his word. <laughs> and I knew he would let me uh, take it anyway. But really, the word I have is wonder. Um, and the reason I chose wonder is um, I'm a, a very task-oriented person. And I tend to get very focused on the task at hand. And I go from one task to another. And I don't take the time to look up and look around and see the wonder of God. And the reality is that the wonder of God is all around us. I, I got to say, um, I came in today. I had to park. I was running late. I had to park two blocks away. You were late? <laughs> I, I was having breakfast with my mother. <laughs> Good excuse. Uh, but I had to park two blocks away, and, and I walked in here, and I walked up above, and there's standing room here, and I've been, we've been coming in this building for 21 years, and like anything we do, you know, it becomes routine, and we, we don't see things, you know, and so I want God to restore the wonder, and I look at this church, I read the headlines in the paper, and I think everything's going to hell, and I come into this church, and I see this body and I see us sitting next to one another, and I see us working with one another to restore this city, and I see what Jesus Christ is asking us to do, and that is wondrous, you know? All right. So I, I just am asking God to, uh, I, I said that the, the verse is uh, Matthew 18, 3, which is essentially say that you have to be like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven, and the reason I use that is because the, the best way to restore your wonder is spend some time with a five-year-old. Everything is new, you know? Everything is amazing, and they're struck and awed by everything, and I just want that for myself and for my life. So maybe that's why I use the word amazing so much, because I'm like a five-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Great. Well, Mark, you got the mic. Why don't you share your word and where it came from and what sure. it means to you? So when I walked in last week and I saw the boards up, I knew what Doug was going to do. And what came to me immediately was hold on. But it's not hold on like you're going to face a lot of trouble. That was last year when my word was trust. Uh, this year it's hold on like 
hold on, we're about to take off. And for me, that means a number of different things. Uh, there's a lot going on here at church, a lot of good things. I'm involved in covenant community care, and we've got some great opportunities there. Uh, after two years of uncertainty, I just got a new job this last week. And so, and so I just see there's a tremendous amount coming at me. So you and, got the word hold on on Sunday, and you got the new job after that? Right. Yeah, well, yeah. okay. Here we go. <laughs> uh, it, there's just a lot coming at me, and I can't do this all on my own. Uh, this is all about God, and so I just really need to lean into him. And I also feel like I really need to focus and take away the superfluous and just focus on what God is trying to do and what he wants to do through me. That's great. Jenny? So my word this, um, this year, and I feel like it's been bouncing around in my brain for a while, is to dream. And it's living into that, that um, if God gives me a dream, that I'm capable of walking in that. And I, um, I guess I've always thought, I, I can't do that, or that's not for me. And it's really believing that um, if God gives me a dream, he'll fill in my gaps, and that I need to trust him to, to be able to do that. And um, during the song today, Reckless Love, it really um, struck me that um, those words, we worship uh, an active God, not a passive God. For sure. And um, do I believe that? Do I believe that he is active and active in my life personally to um, work in those dreams that he gives me? And um, I was reading something from The Circle Maker, which really talks a lot about um, God giving us dreams that he wants to use us um, to you know, glorify him and um, expand his kingdom. But it says in there, um, one litmus test of spiritual maturity is whether your dreams are getting bigger or smaller. The older you get, the more faith you should have because, you're experienced more, because you've experienced more of God's faithfulness. And it is God's faithfulness that increases our faith and enlarges our dreams. And then one other thing is, um, um, I just noticed this this morning. It says, it's nothing is better for our spiritual development than a big dream because it keeps us on our knees in raw dependence on God. Great, that's really good. <clears throat> Thank you. Done? My word this year is simplify. Um, and it came about probably really all through last year. I had a lot on my plate last year and a lot of fun things. My daughter was getting married. I had another daughter graduating, going to school. I just felt like I had no margin. Um, in my spaces at home, in my schedule, um, which left me kind of lacking a spiritual connection with God as sure. well. I was really relying on myself. And so right now, simplify is meaning kind of decluttering my spaces, decluttering my heart a little bit. But as you were talking, um, as between Karen talking about mercies and you talking about layers, I feel like I need to be faithful to ask God maybe each month, maybe even each week, what does simplify mean now? Right, and for to sure. be able to take this, let him take this farther than what I think it is now. Because um, currently now it's like cleaning my spaces like we all do in January, but maybe this is gonna mean something different in the spring and in the summer I and in the so. fall. That's great. Okay, so there you have a few examples of words. Thank you guys so much.
you guys would want to set the mics over there, that would be great. So part of the value of this um, is it opens up great opportunities for encouragement, right? Now you're in a small group with a group of people and you've all shared your word. Now you just have this beautiful opportunity to encourage one another to, you know, the guys I meet with on Friday morning are going to ask me regularly, how are you doing with joy? What does it mean for you? I do think Dawn's right that it comes in layers. So that conversation's going to keep going. You can keep having it. I'm on the board with two of these guys. I know what God is trying to do in their lives this year. Helps me to know them. Helps me to uh, personalize what they're going through. It just it opens up so many opportunities for us. So again, just encouraging you to uh, chase after this and to ask the Lord for a word. And uh, if you want to put it on the board afterwards, that'd be great. Grab your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter three. Uh, we're going to spend these next few weeks in this one particular chapter. I don't know that I've ever taught the same chapter for five weeks in a row, but uh, we're going to see how this goes. We're in week two. And, and what we're exploring in Philippians three is this, the, the truths that are found in here are really the springboard, if you will, or the launching pad. They're the, 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 the very thing that will allow us to sink into and live out the word that God gives us. Even though God's gonna give all these different words to all of you, there are some basic fundamental elements that need to be in our lives that allow us to actually live out those words. And I wanna kind of show you how this is the intent of the, the passage by taking it to, to the verse one. So Philippians 3, verse 1, Paul writes these words. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. It's a little bit confusing. I'm going to unpack it in just a minute so that it makes sense. But what I want you to see, and, and most scholars agree, is that the, the first sentence there, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, actually belongs at the end of chapter 2. If you read chapter two, it makes perfect sense why he would end chapter two with those words. In the beginning of chapter three is that to write the same thing to you is no trouble. Now, you're asking yourself, well, why then did they put it where they put it? And I just want to help clarify something for you. I don't know if you know this, but the, the original manuscripts don't have any spaces they don't have any chapter breaks. They don't have any paragraphs. There's no punctuation. And as a matter of fact, they're written in all capital Greek letters. So you're thinking to yourself, how hard is it to read? But the truth is, it's not as hard as you would think. So I'm going to put this up on the board. And most of you are gonna, can read that. It may take you a little more concentration, but you can figure out what that says, right? This is what it have been, have been like to read in the original Greek. Right? So we, as native English speakers, can figure out where the natural breaks are. But you can imagine if you wrote a whole book or a manuscript that way, there would be some places where you get it wrong. Plus, it would take a long time to read it. You'd probably get a headache, right? So the, as the people have translated the scriptures, they have added the punctuation. Matter of fact, punctuation didn't even come for a couple centuries later. Right, But that was added, and it was added for our benefit. When you see a header in your Bible, that was added for your benefit. When you see a chapter break, it was added for your benefit. And I just say all that to say, I'm not trying to change Scripture here, but over the years, there's been more and more understanding, and so that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm just showing you why I think rejoice in the Lord always goes with chapter. It doesn't change much, but what it does is it helps us to understand Paul is saying, this is what I'm about to write to you, and this is why I'm going to write it. So again, look at that second or second sentence in verse one. He says, to write the same thing to you 
It begins the section, and he says, it is safe for you. Now, that's hard to understand, but if you just were to look at the NIV, that's the ESV. If you were to look at the NIV, a different translation, I think they grasp it a little bit closer, and this is what they say. It's no trouble for me to write to you the same thing again, and it is a safeguard for you. So you see what he's saying? I'm going to write something to you to safeguard your faith. I'm going to write something to you to help you stay on track. I'm going to write something to you that can be guardrails in your spiritual journey. So when we talk about these five elements that we're going to begin to unpack, they are the guardrails, the things that keep us safe and keep us moving on the path. It's what's going to allow us to sink into and live out the word that God gives us for each of us for 2018. Right, So this is really important. Stay with me because uh, what I'm talking about over the next few weeks could get sideways pretty quick if you don't get this. But, but we believe here at Grace and we think scripture is clear that salvation is a gift. You don't earn your salvation. I think the scriptures are very clear. You're saved by grace through faith, not by any works. Why? So that no one can boast. There is this gift that God offers to us. Jesus did the work on the cross. It's a gift to us. All of that is absolutely true. The second part of this is when it comes to your transformation, that is also a gift to you. That is also something that God makes available to you. But at the moment that you you are saved, the moment that you receive Christ in faith, God begins a transformational work in you and you must participate in the transformational work that God is doing. It doesn't just happen to you. Could God just shazam you and make you a different person? Sure. Sometimes I hear people share their testimony and they're like, yeah, when I got saved and like... Everything that was wrong with me went away. Well, I just want you to know that's not my story, right? It's taken years of digging through and finding the roots and getting rid of the roots. And sometimes things spring up and I'm like, is that still there? Really? That's the transformational work that's necessary. We participate with God in the transformation that he wants to bring about in our lives. And this whole thing that we're going to talk about is part of it. So what is our mission statement here at Grace? Say it like you like it. That was beautiful, much better than Saturday group. They stumbled over it pretty bad. But anyway, so the mosaic is this picture of, of what we see. It's what Murray was, was emotionally talking about, the black, white, rich, poor, young, old. That This is an intentional thing that we're trying to do here at Grace, that we are going to be a mosaic, something that a lot of churches have struggled to do, but God has blessed us, and we are going to embrace that, right? But when we wrote the mission statement, and we knew this was going to be the case, the, the most controversial word in our mission statement is the one right in the middle. It's striving. Because people don't like the word striving. And what they hear us saying is we are a mosaic people striving to make God love us more or something like that. And here's what I want you to say. You cannot do anything to make God love you more. It's settled. He loves you beyond your wildest imagination, right? That's done and said. But when we talk about striving, it is that picture of participating with the work of God in your life. The movement of God in your life always starts with what? An invitation, right? But you gotta accept the invitation. You gotta move when God invites you into something. So the one word story is part of an invitation. You're gonna have to participate. That's what the striving is all about. So I showed you this uh, slide last week that's kind of framing the entire series, but this is Joe or uh, we call it some, no, yep, yep, Joe Grow is who we call this guy. Uh, last night or yesterday when we were doing new member class, 
Uh, G informed me that for some people they like to call it flow grow. I didn't know that, but either way, whatever you want, male or female, this is a picture of each one of us and how we grow. And if, if we're going to, to grow, if we're going to apply the safeguards that are in Ephesians, uh, then you want to show the next slide. The first one is what we talked about last week, that we know Christ. Remember what we talked about, that you prioritize knowing Christ. So in Ephesians 3, what does Paul say? He says, I count everything is lost compared to knowing Christ. And that I count everything, the word there is I allow Christ to lead my mind. And I talked to you last week about the challenge of moving and how I've gotten off track because I've been thinking about moving more than I've been thinking about Christ. So what led my mind at different seasons over the last few weeks is moving. And this is an idea of you being aware of what's going on in your mind. Is Christ the priority? Are you allowing Christ to lead your mind? So that's the number one thing that you need in your life to safeguard, right? To create guardrails in your spiritual journey that you keep Christ the very thing that leads your mind. And then we're gonna unpack the other four um, over the course of the next few weeks. I'll give you number two here in just a few minutes. But the idea here is, if you go to the next slide, is that all of our words have to flow out of these safeguards, right? And we have the ability to go around this if we want to. We could just say, so my word is joy. I can just figure out how to do that in my own strength, but it's not gonna last. It's not gonna stick. It's not gonna bear fruit, right? If the Lord doesn't build the house, we labor in vain is a good application here. So the idea here is these five safeguards, this is what Paul is writing to us, to help us to live into and live out the word that God has given us. Passage for today, Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. If your Bible has a header, it actually probably says something like straining towards the goal, Sounds a little bit like striving to me, like working towards something, kind of captures the essence of that. So verse 12, Paul again writes, and he says, not that I've already obtained this, or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I just want to read that again, because I just, I love this verse. Not that I've already obtained this, not that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his, do you know that Christ has made you his own? Isn't that a cool thing? Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward for what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for just a moment. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for just how you've brought this series together and this message together. I pray that in these next few minutes that you would uh, speak through me. Uh, our prayer this week is the prayer we pray every week that we would leave this house different than we came because we've interacted with the living God where we've stood in your presence and in your presence there has been change. We pray that we would never be willing or comfortable with just playing church and checking a box but that you would be bringing about transformation in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look at the beginning of verse 12 and verse 13, Paul repeats himself, and he kind of says the same thing in two different ways. And you got to remember who Paul is, right? I always describe Paul as the greatest church planter in human history. Now, we know Jesus is the greatest church planter in human history, but Paul is the greatest non-divine church planter in human history, okay? There's some distinction there. But anyway, he says these words. He says, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm perfect. And then he says the words, I don't consider that I've made it my own. And here's the deal. What Paul is saying to the reader is, is, is he understands who he really is. He has an accurate understanding of self. This is not a, a, a writing of some kind of self-loathing or, or false humility, 
We got to think about who Paul is, right? So if you know the story of Paul, remember on the road to Damascus, he was going to persecute Christians that a bright light came and it blinded them. But Jesus spoke to him personally. Jesus called him into ministry personally and loudly and with a, with a bright light and a blinding light, right? So that, that's a pretty cool thing, right? But what the other thing we know about Paul is somewhere uh, shortly thereafter, he was taken up and he doesn't, he even says, I don't know if it was a dream or if I really went, but he went into like a, another arena, if you will, or, or another sphere and he was personally taught by Jesus. That's a pretty good credential. I, you know, I, I went to seminary, that's good, but right, he, he, Jesus like brought him to Jesus and he got taught by Jesus, right? That, he's got a good resume, Right, would we agree? Right, he does all these miraculous things. God works through him to do miraculous things. It just, it, he's written a good portion of the New Testament. I mean, Paul's got a pretty crazy cool resume. And what he's saying is, with all that, I'm just still a work in progress. Right, I'm still broken. I still haven't, all the things I'm writing for you, even these safeguards that I'm asking you to take hold of, I haven't necessarily taken hold of them in all the ways that I should, right? So he has this clear understanding that he is a work in progress and that's encouraging to us because there are gonna be times where we feel like we're just not getting it, right? Where we too struggle to take hold of what, what that has. But he says these words and this is the second safeguard that we gotta hold on to. He says that we must press on. So the first one is that we know Christ and the second one is that we press on. So let's unpack what that means. There's no question that the first century reader, when they were reading Philippians, especially this section of Philippians, would have known that Paul was painting a, a word picture, and the word picture that he was using was this analogy of being an athlete and running a race, probably even in a stadium. So when he's using these words, he's saying, look, it's not that I have finished the race, it's not that I have crossed the finish line, but one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to run, I'm going to continue to participate in the race, I'm going to press on towards the goal, which is to finish this race, right? So if you look at Philippians 2.16, he uses the, almost the exact same language, but he says, holding fast to the word of life so that the day of Christ I may be proud, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. One thing's for sure, I'm going to press on because that's what God has called me to. So stay with me for a minute. Super important. Life in Christ being a Christ follower is a lifelong journey. When we put on the, on the screen, we are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus, none of us get to say, I'm, I'm now like Jesus, right? We, we, don't, we don't arrive. We realize that there's, a, there's something about the mission table. We don't, we don't get there. It is a lifelong journey, and the only way is to continue to press on, to move forward, to, to work towards finishing the race. And the only way that we can really grow in our faith is to have an accurate understanding of those areas of our lives where we fall short. And this has been known for, for really centuries, but great thinkers have written words, like this is John Calvin writes these words. He says, it's not possible to know God without knowing yourself, and it's not possible to know yourself without knowing God. Remember, we started with Paul having an accurate understanding of who he is, an accurate view of himself, right? When you have an accurate view of yourself and you begin to have an accurate view, those two things work hand in hand to help you to grow. Augustine wrote, grant, Lord, that I may know myself and that I may know thee. But the problem is, we are prone to be self-deceived. 
It's very easy for us not to see ourselves well, to really see ourselves accurately. And one of the reasons I think for this is because we have this uh, fallen propensity to uh, have a much better view of other people's faults than our own. If, if you would like me to, I could analyze you far better than I can analyze myself. I can tell you all the things that are wrong with you. Oh, look, you just need to fix this, this, and this, right? We have this ability to be very critical and, and to see faults in other people and sometimes not even see the faults in ourselves at all. We need to learn to do a much better job of self-examination. So this is what I call the golden rule of a healthy marriage. Uh, and actually, I would say it's the golden rule of any healthy relationship. But it is these words, deal with your own stuff. Right? People come to us all the time and they're talking about their marriage. And, and, and when they are focused on and she does this and she does that and he does this and he does that. And, and they're, they're both totally focused on the other person. The first thing I'll always tell them is until you decide to look at your own stuff, nothing's going to get better. Right? You need to do the self-examination and grow in yourself. And this is true of all of our relationships. This plays out at work. This plays out with your kids. This plays out in all of our relationships. Now, I am not saying that you need to justify or accept abusive behavior. Don't hear that in what I'm saying. There's, there's a difference between abusive behavior and just being focused on the other person's faults. Now, I asked Meg if I could share this with you. Uh, Meg and I have been married uh, for a long time, over 30 years. Um, it's a great thing. Somebody should clap. One person is going to clap for 30 years. And I've told you this many times. First eight years were terrible. Uh, they were as bad as it gets. No one comes to us and talks about how bad their marriage is and us be like, oh, wow, God can't fix this. I think we went through uh, a dark enough season in our marriage that we can have hope for you when you have no hope for yourself in your marriage. And that's a beautiful thing. But in those eight years, I was just on a destructive path. I was destructive to to Meg, I was abusive to Meg, I was just with my kids, there was just all kinds of chaos and trauma that was coming out of that, and I've told you the whole story, and I don't wanna uh, bog this down with that, but you know, God got a hold of my life, I recommitted my life to Christ, I, that happened here in this building long before I ever even worked here, and God began to do this work in my life, things like Promise Keepers had a huge impact on me about confession, and, and God just kept showing me uh, my stuff, now I, I don't want you to hear that he's shown me, all, well he probably has shown me all my stuff, I don't want you to hear that I've dealt with all my stuff, uh, but that's the season of life I was in. Lots of repentance, lots of pain of seeing like just what a jerk I am and, and just all those things and God's working. But there would be these seasons where I would be in prayer and God would show me something clearly and I would say to God, yeah, but what about Meg? Like when are you gonna start working on Meg? Like this is, this sucks. She's got some problems too, you know. Now, the, pro the thing is, she just didn't have nearly as many, so it took him a lot more work to get to mine than it did to hers. But the whole point is, I had a good friend, and my, and my friend, he, he kind of said to me, look, that's just Satan. He's just trying to get you off track. Just continue to do what you need to do. And, and the right thing is for me to say, okay, Lord, I'll just, I just entrust Meg to you. You do what you need to do with Meg, but I want to be faithful to what you're showing me. We get off track and we lose the accurate view of ourselves when we allow ourselves to get totally focused on what the other person needs to do in order to make the relationship better. And again, this goes way beyond marriage. This applies to all of our relationship. So God would bring revelation. The, the question is, are you willing to see what God wants you to see? Now, I still have times where I have to take that thought captive, where I'm focused on, boy, if, if, if that would only change in that person, then I'll say, no, this is really more about you, Doug. See what you need to see. Change where you need to change. 
okay? So the principle here that applies to all relationships, work, and if you don't do this, as soon as you start thinking of the other person's faults, your relationship will turn toxic, instantly. It is just, it's a recipe for a toxic relationship, okay? So if we are going to become more and more like Jesus, going back to the idea of knowing God and knowing self, if we're gonna be more and more like Jesus, which is what our mission statement is, then first of all, we need to know what Jesus is like, right? And we learn that through the reading of the gospels, through, through our time with God and seeing how God is merciful to us and how God moves in our lives. We learn that even through community. When I'm with you and you are, are just being a beautiful representation of Christ to me, I begin to see more and more what Christ is like. Well, we see what Christ is like, and then we begin to see what we are like, and we see the, the gap there. That's where God begins to bring understanding into our lives and, and helps us to know what are those areas where we are supposed to grow, if you think about this, it's pretty amazing. So the Apostle Paul, if you read through all of his writing, he writes these words like, hey, I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't do it. And sometimes I know what I'm not supposed to do and I do it, right? So, and, and then he says, I am the chief of all sinners, right? This is the same guy I was talking about that had all those accomplishments, like, you know, personally taught by Jesus, that guy, right? He's the worst of sinners. But then if you're reading in other places, he says things like, hey, do what I do, follow me. Follow my example, right? And so you, either the dude is a total schizophrenic, right? Or he understands this basic truth that I'm trying to get at in the spiritual walk. And that is that, that we gotta live in both of these camps. If, if, if I could summarize what I want you to hear this morning, is this is kind of the summary statement of the message. We, as followers of Jesus, must learn to celebrate the good work that God is doing in our lives without becoming prideful. Right? When God moves, if God does something in your life, it's easy for you to be like, well, look at me. Look at what God is doing, right? It, 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 that's just our human propensity. So let God move in your life in a powerful way without it creating pride. So when God moves in our lives, we need to let it happen without becoming prideful. And at the same time, we have to allow God to bring conviction in our lives and to bring pension to our lives without becoming defeated. Right? When God shows you something, he's not showing it to you to knock you off your feet and to cause you to stop running the race. He is showing you because he wants you to run the race less encumbered and, and, and being able to run better. And we had to live in that tension of both of those things, of being excited about what God's doing and sharing what God's doing in our lives without being prideful and allowing God to bring conviction and change in our lives. And that's really what the run one word story is all about. You pray and you ask God, what's my word? Chances are the word is going to be convicting for you. Are you willing to sink into it? Are you willing to let God bring that word about over the next year and all of the layers that come with it? Okay? But once you write the word down, you are going to have to press on. There's times this week, you know, so I told you over and over, my word is joy. There were two days this week in a row where I was just grumpy, right? I just was... I, it, I was not joyful. No, I have a choice. I can say, God, show me, why is this so hard for me? What, what's going on in my heart? Why is, what's going on? Or I can just say, well, I can't do it. It's just not who I am. I'm not gonna be joyful. I don't have the, the joy of the Lord the way I'm supposed to have it. I'm just, I'm just broken. It's not gonna happen, right? That's not pressing on. Pressing on is realizing, having an accurate view of, of where you're falling short, but asking the Lord to step in and helping you. Whatever your word is, you're gonna have to go through those same sort of exercises. So, uh, as a way of closing the service, I want to do something a little bit different, but I'm going to give you a little bit of time to listen. And I'm just going to offer up a couple ways you might want to pray 
and then I'll just give you some silence in the room for you to listen to God. This is the text that I got. This came out of this moment last night where somebody said, I thought I had my word, but when you had us pray, God made it clear that it's not the word and gave her a new word. And so um, for some of you, you don't have a word. That's your prayer. Lord, would you just give me a word? And don't feel pressure. If he doesn't give it to you today, he'll give it to you. I, I, I guarantee you God is going to speak to you and give you a word. So just pray, Lord, would you give me a word? For those of you that have a word, be willing to have God change the word. It could be that you grabbed a word because you wanted it or you liked it, and God's gonna say, like he did to my friend, well, that's a nice word, but it's not your word. Here's your word, okay? So those are two prayers that you could just be praying in these next couple minutes. Lord, give me a word, or Lord, would you affirm or change the word if you want to? So if you wanna just pray that for a couple minutes, I'm just gonna give you a little bit of silence. If you know your word, you might want to be asking the Lord, what do the layers look like? Help me to understand the word more. Show me how my life would be different if I take hold of the word that you've given me. Lord, thank you so much. I'm just very aware as we close the service that you are a personal God, that you have the ability in this moment to give every person in this room a word to speak to each one of us individually, that you see us, that you particularize each one of us. You know where we need to grow. You know where you're excited about what we've taken hold of already. Lord, I just I thank you for that, that you are a personal God. I pray that you would speak to each one of us, that you would give us the word. I pray that we would be brave enough to receive the word, to, to accept the invitation that you're giving us and to move into that word over the coming year. I pray that you would just bless this one word challenge as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, we did the new member class yesterday, and one of the things we heard at the new member class from uh, some of the people is it's hard for them to know who the people are that are praying. Um, so every Sunday, Saturday night, we invite you to come and receive prayer. Uh, so what I'd like to do is invite the prayer team to come right now. Uh, they will also have lanyards, but you can kind of visualize who those people are by the fact that they are on their way down right now. Uh, I want to encourage you to come if you have prayer. If you not, don't have a word yet and you want somebody to pray over you to help you have a word, uh, we heard this morning as, we, as the team listened uh, that there's somebody in here that's struggling with something in their right knee and they would like us to pray for that. We would love to. And the other thing we heard very clearly is that there are some people here who just really are looking for friendship and community and we would love to uh, meet you 
pray over you and maybe even introduce you to some folks. So whatever your need is, uh, I talked to somebody in the pre-service about uh, even some pre, uh, uh, she's having a baby and there's some nausea and stuff going. Those are the kind of things we would just like to pray and see what God is gonna do. So Lord, I just pray as we close the service that you would give us the boldness to come and receive the prayer uh, that you would have us take. And uh, thank you for each person that's here. Go with us as we go out and represent you in our cities. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here today. God bless you. Amen.